Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You ever stomped your foot down and said, I will not under no circumstances over my dead body? The answer is no. And when Jacob did that, that was definitely good old Jacob speaking. That was Jacob from his lower nature And every time Jacob did that, Jacob had to remember what God said to him in Genesis 35.10. In Genesis 35.10, where it says, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. So every time we let our lower nature take control of us and we say, I want it, and I don't care if God doesn't want me to have it, I want it then God says something like Genesis 35, 10 does. Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall no more be called Jacob. Israel shall be thy name. name. Or maybe God would say something like, your name is stubborn. Your name does not be called stubborn anymore. Your name shall be Christian from now on. Oh, when Jacob is acting like this, when he's acting stubborn Jacob, he's not the father who's diligently teaching his children, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, diligence teaching his children to follow God. And this shows the beauty of verse 11 here because that's all changed now. And now Jacob has yielded to God and he's being a good father to his children. He's teaching them by his actions how to yield to God. And that's why it says in verse 11, and their father Israel said, it's no longer Jacob speaking now. Now it's Israel said, This is not the bullheaded Jacob speaking. This is now the spirit-controlled Israel speaking. And he's being the father to his children that they need to see. And he's under the control of the spirit of God. And so what does he say in verse 11? If it must be so now. This statement is not a statement from a man who said in the previous chapter, I said my son should not go down and I can't, and I'm not gonna change what I said. That would have been wrong for Jacob to take that position. But now he's changed in verse 11 when he said, if it must be so now. So now we see in Jacob an example for us. He's an example for us to follow. There's a sweet spirit of reasonableness now with him. There's a willingness to change his mind and purpose. And this is what, We see here in verse 11, their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now. In verse 13, take also your brother. And most notably, in verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy. The spirit-controlled Israel accepts the will of God, repents and reverses his course of stubbornness, and then goes to prayer asking for God for mercy, asking God for mercy. 
in contrast to the previous chapter where it was, where it was the stomping of the feet and no, I will not let Benjamin go. See, that was the person named Jacob speaking. He represents the lower nature that wants his way. And here we see at verse 11, the person Israel speaking who represents a spirit-controlled nature that accepts and yields to God's will and then trusts God for a good outcome, in this case, to take care of Benjamin. It's the same person. It's the same person with two natures. 42, chapter 42, it's the flesh-controlled, lower nature named Jacob that's speaking. 43, it's the spirit-controlled nature named Israel that's speaking. Same person. Same person, just a question of which one's in control. Who's controlling these words? Is it Jacob or is it Israel? And the same's true of us. We are one person, but just like Jacob, we have two natures. We have a lower nature like a Jacob, and we have a higher nature like an Israel. And this up and down seesaw, this back and forth tug of war between our two natures, which in the New Testament are called the law of the mind, and the law of sin, it's frustrating. It was frustrating for Jacob, it's frustrating for us. And this very frustration is what's addressed in Romans 7.15. Romans 7.15 is just addressing this frustration because these are the words it says there. For that which I do, I allow not. And what I would, that do I not. And what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent it the law is good. Now, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me and my flesh dwelleth no good good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that what, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight, and here's what he calls it, for I, he doesn't say Jacob, he said, and Jacob in Israel, he says, for I delight in the law of God, that's Israel, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, that's Jacob, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Jacob and Israel are at war with each other in the same person. And just as the law of sin and the law of God are at war inside of us. Now, God knows we have this problem. God knows we have this internal struggle and it's going on with us. And so he says to us in Galatians 5.16, Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk as Israel and you will not be like Jacob. It reminds me when I was in um, the Philippines and um, I'd given my testimony in the church there and and uh, then I was with uh, pastor's son, wife, and family. And they had a little boy named TJ. It was probably about this big, you know, and he was running around. And um, the wife said to him, now, TJ, you be good so that you won't be like Mr. Cantor. <laughs> I thought, okay. Anyway, so this is the case with Jacob. We have to face, he had to face up to what looked inevitable. And he had to be flexible in order to say, if it must be so now. And we come to these places in our lives where we have to face the inevitable, we have to be flexible, we have to say with Jacob, if it must be so now. And this phrase is so important, if it must be so now, because it's an attitude of yielding to God. There was a time in Paul's life, in Acts chapter 21, 
when he was with a group of Christians in Caesarea. And Paul had determined that he wanted to go down to Jerusalem. And a prophet came and said that if Paul goes down to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and turned over to the Gentiles. So the Christians, you can imagine, they did not want Paul to go to Jerusalem. And so what happened in Acts 21.12, Acts 21.12? And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what mean you to break, to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now here's the important verse. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. See, the Christians begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And they tried everything they could think of to try to persuade Paul not to go. But finally, they, they said, okay, he would not be persuaded. So we ceased, and we said, the will of the Lord be done. When he would not be persuaded, we ceased. See, that's the Israel spirit of verse 11 here, if it must be so now. And that's what God wants to see in us, a willingness to accept what we don't want with a desire, an ultimate desire for the will of the Lord to be done. So now that Jacob, he's changed his mind and he's gonna allow Benjamin to go down to Egypt, now we have these very important words, two words, but very important in verse 11, where he says, do this, (laughs) do this. So what does it mean when he said do this? It means Jacob has a plan. Jacob has a plan, and he's focusing on what needs to be done next, which in this case is to prepare this present. And this is very important for us to see, because whenever we are faced with a real problem, like being told you have cancer, that's a real problem, believe me. The first step in verse 11 is, if it must be so now. Stop with the, it's all a bad dream and I'm just gonna wake up from it and it's not really true and everybody's wrong. No, stop that. Because to accept the inevitable, if it must be so now. The second step is important in verse 11. Do this. In other words, put together a plan. Put together a plan with steps to follow and concentrate on just what needs to be done next. Don't let your mind jump ahead, run ahead into the, what will I ever do in the future? Don't do that. Just concentrate on getting the next step done. I have to make this appointment with this doctor. I have to get this test done, whatever. But, but all through it, have the prayer of verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy. So Jacob here, he's got a concrete plan, and that's what he's engaging himself to do when, when it says there in verse 11, their father said unto them, if it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man. Look how, look, a present. Look how specific he is. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, almonds. Can't you just see him doing this? I mean, you can't, can't you just see him? Here is the specific list of what you get. And, and this has kept, what this has done, what this is doing for Jacob It's keeping Jacob from being consumed in worrying about Benjamin. He's focusing on on making sure that it's, oh, you have the best fruits here. Got to have the best fruits. Can't you see him looking over every piece of fruit? No, you can't use that fruit. That's got, look at that. It's got a bruise on it. No, no rotten parts. No, take that one out. He's really getting involved here. And he's got this real specific list. And he's thinking to himself, the man, maybe he lifts something. I don't know. He might get sore. A little balm. We need a little balm for the man. 
for his sore muscles. You know, a little honey for his fruit. That'll be nice, you know. Oh, some spices. Oh, let's get some great spices together here. He can season his fish and whatever he's going to eat for his food. Oh, and he needs something to munch on when he's sitting there in his his big easy chair. And so he needs some nuts and some almonds to munch on. If it wouldn't be me, I would have said, a little cease chocolates, please, and some toffee. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But you can see how Jacob has gotten all energized. He's gotten all excited into making up this present for the man, and he's visualizing in in his mind, this man's getting delighted with the present that I'm making up for him. And it's gotten Jacob off of the treadmill of worry. And all of this has kept Jacob from worrying for the moment about what's going to happen to Benjamin. And he's taken all of his energy that he was using to worry about Benjamin, and he's focusing all that energy into making the present. And he's getting his children, so that he said, now this present is going to get my children back home to me and see if again. So Jacob had to be kept from going crazy worrying about Benjamin. So in these verses, Jacob has come up with a formula to keep him from going crazy. And Jacob is showing us how not to go crazy when we are hit broadside with a terrible problem by following just the simple formula that he's given us here, which is number one, accept the inevitable as the will of God in verse 11, if it must be so now. Number two, come up with a plan in verse 11, do this, and defeat the worry with an involvement in the first step of the plan, which in this case was to make this present. And number three, see God as almighty and adopt a spirit of prayer for God's mercy in verse 14, and God almighty give you mercy. So those are the three words for Jacob's plan. Accept, plan, pray. Accept, plan, pray. That's the formula. That's the formula Jacob is showing us here in these verses so we don't go crazy worrying about some acute problem that hits us. Now, we see that Jacob's strategy was, it was to make this present for the man, which is interesting, because Jacob is sort of thinking along the truths that are expressed in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says in in Proverbs 18.16, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. That's what he's doing. And Proverbs 19.6, Proverbs 19.6, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. You know, money can't buy me love, but money can buy me friendship. All right, so, and that's what it says. All right, so this is not the first time that Jacob, in the past, has used a gift to try to win over an enemy. Do you remember another instance? Esau. It was Esau. It was Esau. That was a huge gift in, in Genesis 32, 13, Genesis 32, 13, says he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats. You don't want very many billy goats, let me tell you. I can tell you that from experience. You know, About one to 10 is enough. That's good enough. Uh, 200 ewes and 20 rams. You don't want very many rams either. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kind, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. That was a big gift. That's huge. But Esau was a big problem. And Jacob would have given a gift like that or more, but he just didn't have it when they went down to Egypt. 
So he instructs his sons in verse 12, take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand for adventure as an oversight. He tells his sons, take double the money. I don't know if that meant the old money plus the new money or maybe it was double, I don't know, but whatever. But then he says, maybe it was just an oversight. You know, those Egyptians, they're not very reliable, you know. I mean, the food's going in and out. Maybe they just forgot to take the money. Maybe it was, maybe it was Bubba, you know, who was doing the packing. He was supposed to take the money, and Bubba just put the money back in the sacks. You know, who knows? But he's trying to put a good spin on all of this and on what happened. He's just hoping that it's just an oversight, and it wasn't a setup to put everybody, all the brothers in prison. Now, we just imagine the state of mind that Jacob is in when he says in verse 14, verse 14, God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send you away, your other brother. It's interesting he doesn't call Simeon by name. He says, your other brother. And Benjamin. (laughs) Oh, he's important. But he's really important, you know. So anyways, your other brother and Benjamin. And then he says, if I bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. So what you see here is that Jacob has not been passive and that's important for us to see. When a problem, a terrible problem comes in, do not go into a state of fatalism. Oh, well, whatever. It must be you know, all written in the stars somewhere. Don't go that way. He's not been passive. He's thrown himself into making the special gift for the man. And he wonders, will my gift be enough to pacify the man? I've done all that I can do. I've done all that I can do, but that's not enough. I need more help. I need more help. So now he reaches, he reaches in the arsenal of God's names because he's got to really fight here. And he reaches out and he pulls out a name that's very special for God. It's a name that has always been associated with God's miraculous help. And that's the name God Almighty, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. First, that name was used when God said, that's my name in Genesis 17.1. Genesis 17.1, he spoke to Abraham, and he said, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am Almighty God. I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So God said to Abraham, I am, I am Almighty God. That was a very distressful time in Abraham's life. Abraham had just defeated in battle five kings, took all their booty and the prisoners, and then gives all the booty to a very wicked king of Sodom. He did that so he could free his nephew, Lot. But Abraham didn't want to live by the sword. And at that time, Abraham feared for his own protection. That the people would say, who is this? Who is this man who came over the river and now he's killing all, he's doing all these things? Who is that man? So in that situation, in the midst of his fear, God comes to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. And he's telling him, I am God Almighty. And it's like asking Abraham the question that he will ask him, that he did ask him in Genesis 18, 14. Genesis 18, 14, when he said, Abraham, is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? And ever since God told Abraham, I am Almighty God, I am Almighty God, that name for God became very special for that family, for that family. And so Abraham's son, Isaac, he used that name to bless uh, Jacob. When Isaac said in Genesis 28.3, Genesis 28.3, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful, multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. So again, that was also during a very distressful time. 
Isaac realizes at that point that Jacob has just stolen the birthright from his son, who happens to be an expert hunter. Not a good idea. So in the face of that terrible trouble and threat to Jacob, Isaac reaches into the arsenal of God's names and he pulls out this name and he blesses Jacob with that. And again, it's like a reiteration of the restatement of the question in Genesis 18, 14, is there anything too hard for God? Now there was a time when Jacob was afraid of what the Canaanites would do to him after a small matter that his sons happened to murder all of the Shechemites, but okay. And so then it says in chapter 34, verse 30, Genesis 34, 30, it says, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites. I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. This was a very real fear for him, very real. And, and Jacob is worried about how he's going to be attacked, how he's going to be destroyed. And in his fear, then God steps in, in Genesis 35, 11, Genesis 35, 11, and God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply, and so forth. So Jacob knew that, okay, this is, this, this is a time for this name. You know, this, this is a time when, I, when I'm really big trouble. I really mean this name. You know, it's not like, you know, OMG or oh my God, you know. But this is not a light use like that. But this is like he really needs this special weapon. And he reaches in the arsenal of God's names. And you only use that name when you're in big trouble. And Jacob felt he was in big trouble. And so... He goes and he pulls this name out. Now, there's another name like this that Jacob was aware of. And that name came from his, again from his grandfather Abraham on a hilltop where Jacob never would have been born had God not done what his grandfather Abraham named the place for. And that was in Genesis 22:14. Genesis 22:14. Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. God will provide. So we see that all these names of God are very meaningful, very specific for different needs of life. And just in case now, at the end of verse 14, just in case we get the impression like, oh, Jacob, he's rock solid now. He's fixed. He has no struggles. It's all, he's going to stand, stand firm the end of verse 14 shows that Jacob is still struggling when it says, if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I'm so glad that this was included here as a final statement before the brothers leave for Egypt because it shows how Jacob is still struggling with this sadness and this depression. And that's why the Christian life is described as a fight. The Christian life is described as a fight in Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Okay, so this is where we are now, and now we've come to the point where the boys are leaving, and that's where we'll start next week. Father, thank you so much for recording all the conversations and letting us see into the heart and mind of Jacob and the great way in which you're leading him and changing him and for the fact that you are the almighty God and very merciful. In Jesus' name, amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.